Hello, and welcome to episode number four of An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. If you recall, last week's episode was all about Islamic State, where it came from, where it is, and where it might be going. I thought that for this week's episode, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and we'll look at Al-Qaeda, or AQ, a terrorist group that is, or was, fairly well known at one point. And we'll ask the same questions about Al-Qaeda that we asked last week about Islamic State, i.e., where is it now, and where is it going? You know, at one time, Al-Qaeda was a household word around the world primarily because it was the terrorist group that was responsible for the attacks on 9-11 in September 2001, the flying of airliners into the two World Trade Center towers in New York, into the Pentagon in Washington, and a crash landing in a field in Pennsylvania that was probably an attack intended for the White House. The, those terrorist attacks, of course, led to the American decision to invade Afghanistan in the fall of 2001 to find Al-Qaeda, to neutralize it, and if possible to bring the group's leaders and members to justice. Of course, it took almost a decade to locate the leader of Al-Qaeda, the Saudi citizen Osama bin Laden. He was located in a compound in a town called Abbottabad in Pakistan in May of 2011, and he was killed by U.S. Special Forces, and his body was buried at sea. And I'll never forget the scenes outside the White House when news broke that the Al-Qaeda leader and the man responsible for the single largest terrorist attack in history had finally been caught. People were climbing trees in Lafayette Park across from the White House, Everyone's yelling, USA, USA, and it truly was, in a lot of ways, a celebratory moment. I do recall getting an email from a friend of mine of the FBI wondering why I didn't seem to be as happy as, as many were about the death of bin Laden. And I replied that, yeah, it's great, one less terrorist to worry about, but I cautioned that the fact that bin Laden had been neutralized, i.e. killed, didn't necessarily mean that Al-Qaeda as a group was necessarily defunct. So, whatever happened to Al-Qaeda? And why is no one talking about it anymore? Simply stated, it's because of Islamic State. When Islamic State rose to power in mid-2014 into 2015 and created the so-called Caliphate in Iraq and Syria, it sucked all the oxygen out of the room. It was all Islamic State this, Islamic State that. It had usurped Al-Qaeda in terms of its propaganda campaign. It had carried out multiple terrorist attacks around the world. It had inspired people to create affiliate groups and people to act autonomously or independently in the group's name. And we talked about that a lot last week, so I'm not going to rehash that. But Al-Qaeda became sort of the forgotten terrorist group, if you will. And I've always cautioned that was a very dangerous conclusion to draw. So if we do go back to 
the post 9-11 days. The first few years after 9-11, there was a concerted effort by the Americans and by the Allies, including Canada, to locate Al-Qaeda, the organization, its leadership, its cadre in Afghanistan, and to eliminate them. And then the Americans did something which was very, very unfortunate. They decided to invade Iraq in March of 2003. And I remember saying at the time to my colleagues that not only was the invasion of Iraq predicated on not great intelligence and was probably a mistake, I do think it forced the Americans to take their eye off the ball, i.e. to abandon the greater effort to hunt down al-Qaeda. They had new beast somewhere in Iraq looking for the non-existent weapons of mass destruction and looking for Iraq's links to al-Qaeda. And of course what happened is that, as often happens when foreign armies invade and occupy other lands, indigenous groups arise and there was in fact the creation of al-Qaeda in Iraq in the mid-2000s. And we talked a little bit about that last week, so again I won't go over that. Now that Islamic State, as we talked about last week, or two weeks ago rather, is not as prevalent as it once was. A lot of discussion about what's going to happen next. What do we do with the foreign fighters? Who's left? Will they basically die rather than surrender to coalition forces? It really is high time to talk about Al-Qaeda. The group never went away, despite the fact that it seems to have left the front pages, if you will, in a lot of people's attention. So using the same rubric that we used two weeks ago when looking at Islamic State, let's have a quick synopsis of Al-Qaeda core, Al-Qaeda affiliates, and Al-Qaeda inspired, and wither Al-Qaeda, using the same play on words as it did last week, wither being are they defunct and wither being where are they going. There's no question that from the perspective of activity, the Al-Qaeda core seems to have been relatively quiet of late. In the aftermath of bin Laden's assassination by the Americans, the group was led then by his deputy, Ayman al-Zawahiri, an Egyptian doctor who had a long history in the jihadi movement in Egypt. And essentially he took over after bin Laden's death. The problem is with al-Zawahiri is he's not the most charismatic guy. He's kind of like a very bland, boring administrator. And he's been in charge of the group since 2011. He does issue the odd statement. There's a statement issued a few weeks ago. To be perfectly honest, I've stopped looking at these things. At one point, a lot of us in intelligence would chomp at the bit to get the latest video statement by bin Laden or any other jihadi leaders. We'd comb through it for messages, whether hidden or overt, as to what's going to happen next. But frankly, I've gotten kind of tired of all that stuff. And there's nothing like an al-Zawahiri statement to make one feel more tired. But he is still out there. Uh, The Americans are still hunting for him. The big question is, where is he? And from what I've read, it is possible that he's living in Karachi, which is a port city in Pakistan. And one would ask the question, well, why is he there? How did he get there from Afghanistan or from elsewhere in Pakistan? And why is no one arresting him and bringing him to justice? And the allegations are that the Pakistani ISI 
or Inter-Services Intelligence Directorate is actually kind of protecting him, which wouldn't be the first time that Pakistan had done that to a terrorist group. The Americans have attempted to assassinate al-Zawahiri as recently as 2016. Uh, that failed. So al-Zawahiri is still there, and I assume he's kind of behind the al-Qaeda core. But I have no figures on the numbers of people that consider themselves al-Qaeda core. And if any of my listeners can point me in the direction of analyses in that, in that regard, I'd love to hear about it. So the core is still there, but it's not nearly as important as it was in the early 2000s. What about the affiliates? Well, just like we talked about with Islamic State, uh, the affiliates are doing fairly well on a number of levels. There's an Al-Qaeda affiliate in Yemen called Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, or AQAP. And this is one of the more famous affiliates. It was behind a number of spectacular failed attacks in the, in the 2000s. There was the so-called uh, underwear bomber. Remember that guy on Christmas Day 2009? who tried to set off a bomb in his underwear on an aircraft that was landing in Detroit. Actually, it was flying over southwestern Ontario, my home, when he attempted to detonate his device and failed to do so. That was an AQAP plot. There's another plot in early 2010 using printer cartridges loaded with bombs. That was foiled as well. But AQAP has not gone away. They still have some influence in Yemen. You're probably aware that there has been a civil war waging in Yemen for an awful long time now. It's, it's a humanitarian disaster of the most horrendous degree. Millions are starving. This is a war that has a lot of proxies involved in it. Uh, the Houthis, who have some form of Iranian support. The Saudis and the Emiratis are supporting the Yemeni government. It's a humanitarian disaster. And as we often see in conflicts around the world, instability and wars do provide room for terrorist groups to thrive. And that's exactly what AQAP is doing in parts of Yemen. So that group's around. There's an Al-Qaeda affiliate in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh called Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent, or AQIS, which is believed to have been behind a number of attacks in Bangladesh in, in the last few years. The Indian, Indian authorities are constantly mopping up AQIS cells in their country planning attacks. So that affiliate seems to be fairly robust. There's an affiliate in North Africa called Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb or AQIM. And one of the reasons why this is really interesting from a Canadian perspective is that three young men from my hometown, London, Ontario, went to join AQIM in the late 2000s. And, and, it, and two of them ended up taking part in a terrorist attack, a successful terrorist attack on a gas plant in southeastern Algeria that ended up killing 40 or 40, 41 foreign gas workers. And the two men from London, Ontario, who went to the same high school together, one was a convert, one was born Muslim, ended up dying in that attack. AQIM has also sort of spawned a group called JNIM, J-N-I-M, which is another Al-Qaeda affiliate in the Sahel, North Africa region. And we'll talk a little bit more about them when we look at the attack of the week at the end of this broadcast. And then we have a whole host of groups that see themselves as tied to Al-Qaeda. There's the Abu Sayyaf group in the Philippines. We talked about them last week as well in terms of their activity in the southern Philippines. Al-Shabaab, 
the main terrorist group in Somalia. He is an Al-Qaeda affiliate or Al-Qaeda tied as well. And one of the most important groups that doesn't get a lot of attention is a group that used to be called Jabhat al-Nusra and is now called Hayat al-Sham and it is one of the major terrorist groups fighting in Syria. In fact, I've read recent analysis that suggests that Hayat al-Sham can muster as many as 50,000 fighters in north northeastern Syria. It does control territory up against the, uh, the Turkish border. And a lot of people are saying that this particular group is one to worry about. So from an affiliate perspective, it seems that Al-Qaeda is doing very well. Thank you very much. What about the inspired? As I talked about in the previous podcast, when we talk about inspired attacks, we've got to be careful. Lots of people will claim to have been inspired or in contact with a terrorist group when there's no evidence to point in that direction. It's funny, when I wrote my first book, The Threat from Within, back in 2014-2015, the subtitle was Al-Qaeda-Inspired Radicalization and and Terrorism in the West. And that's probably the last time someone used the term Al-Qaeda-inspired. As we talked about previously, most people who carry out terrorist attacks, who claim to be jihadis, see themselves as Islamic State-inspired. And I think that points to the fact that Until recently, Islamic State had been seen as a success story. They had created the caliphate, they had territory, they had income, they had basically they established a functioning state. So if you're a wannabe terrorist in Belgium or Canada or or Singapore, and you're not actually part of a group, and and you carry out an attack or plan to carry out an attack, which group do you want to be affiliated with? Al-Qaeda, those guys from yesteryear? or the people that are guarding all the attention in Iraq and Syria. So I can't recall the last time I've seen an attack described as Al-Qaeda-inspired. But here's where it gets interesting. I noted that in 2003, with the U.S. decision to invade Iraq, that the attention was taken away from Al-Qaeda, which therefore is kind of like... The Americans and their allies had their foot on the Al-Qaeda neck and then lifted it, which allowed the group to survive. So what happens now that Islamic State is not the at the pinnacle of its success that it has been for the past three or four years? In other words, with, with the decrease or the downfall, if I can use that term for Islamic State, are we going to see an uprising or increase in activity by Al-Qaeda? I think it's very, very possible that this group will become more active. It will probably never achieve the heights it had in the late 90s, early 2000s. I'd be very surprised if we see an attack on the scale of 9-11 ever again. That was a a perfect storm, to use the term. They were able to plan the attack over a number of years, get the training, establish the targets, and execute it. And I think that counterterrorism officials, be it law enforcement or security intelligence organizations, have come a long way since then. So I'd be very, very loath to say that we're going to see another Al-Qaeda attack that comes anywhere near what happened on 9-11. That does not mean that we're not going to see other smaller scale attacks by Al-Qaeda core, whatever that is and whatever it's constituted of. We're certainly going to see more attacks planned by the Al-Qaeda affiliates. 
on a regular basis. Al-Shabaab alone is carrying out attacks on a weekly basis. Abu Sayyaf is very active in the southern Philippines. Uh, JNIM, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, is also very active in, in the Sahel part of Africa. And I hate to belabor this point, but then I made the last podcast, but when we go through this mythology that we've somehow defeated a terrorist group, that by carrying out airstrikes or by carving out some of their territory and reducing their footprint, that we can kind of forget about them, we keep making the same mistake over and over again. So there's no question, as I've said, that Al-Qaeda is not at the height it was almost 20 years ago now, but the group never went away. And I think it's highly probable that we're going to see the group rise to a certain extent. Uh, They will fill the vacuum that Islamic State is leaving through its defeat, although, as I noted again, Islamic State hasn't hasn't completely disappeared from the scene. So this is an amazing opportunity for Al-Qaeda to regain some of its past glory, some of its past influence, to act as inspiration for jihadis around the world. And I think it's incumbent on countries that have been part of the counterterrorism conflict, battle, I hate the word war, since 2001, need to turn their attention to wither Al-Qaeda now as well. I think that if we retain this misguided notion that Al-Qaeda is yesterday's terrorist group, we're going to wake up one day to see attacks that are carried out by the group because we've basically stopped looking at them. I don't know what kind of attention Al-Qaeda is getting from MI6 or the CIA or any other foreign intelligence organization or domestic intelligence services. I'm going to assume that they're, they are on the radar, but it'll be very interesting to see what kinds of attention it gets in the months and years to come as we're dealing with what some are calling the post-Islamic state world. So watch this space. I do think that Al-Qaeda is going to be back in the headlines sooner rather than later. I think that we're going to see more action by the affiliates. And I'd be very, very surprised if, in fact, we don't see more people claiming to be acting in the name of Al-Qaeda, the so-called Al-Qaeda-inspired. Which brings me to the featured attack for this podcast. And I wanted to maintain the same theme. And this attack took place in late January on the 31st. It was claimed by the Al-Qaeda affiliate in North Africa called, the English name is Al-Qaeda's Group for Support of Islam and Muslims, or JNIM. They're active in West Africa and in the Sahel area, so that area between North Africa and Central Africa. They've carried out a number of attacks against military bases, against uh, foreign forces in that part of Africa. And in this attack, they they claimed, in fact, that they had killed a couple of Malian soldiers. A few weeks later, they claimed another attack. This time they said that a suicide bomber had attacked French troops near the fabled Malian city of Timbuktu. They claimed to have killed five soldiers. Now the French say that it didn't happen. So again, we're left with this rather nebulous area of did it take place, did it not take place? As I mentioned in the podcast on Islamic State, you have to take a, you have to take claims with a grain of salt. Any terrorist group is going to make a claim if it could if it sees it as advantageous, i.e., it gets into the headlines. I think the point is is that 
uh, Al Qaeda, the, the JNM, the Al Qaeda affiliate, has been uh, very active in, in the area in the past. It'll continue to be active in Mali, in Niger, parts of the Sahel. And I think going forward, this is a, a fascinating topic in terms of looking at wither Al Qaeda. So that's it for episode number four of An Intelligent View of Terrorism. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave comments below the podcast, which is I'm placing on YouTube. You can reach me via email at borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can leave comments for me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, or on Twitter at borealisaves. I'll talk to you again in a fortnight. Until then, stay safe. It may sound absurd.